invite you to take your copy of God's Word now and turn to the Gospel as recorded by Luke. Luke 1, and as you turn there, a reminder that tonight is our service of Hanging of the Green. We will finish decorating our sanctuary during that time, and then afterwards we will go and uh, hang greens elsewhere as we go to... uh, Our shut-ins and Carol, we have a a plant to take them, a Christmas cactus to hopefully brighten their Christmas celebrations this year. So I hope that you'll come out and join us for that um, and come sing. Luke 1 is our assignment this morning. Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord. That your word may be proclaimed boldly today. And that we would leave here changed. Before we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our journey to the manger begins today not in Nazareth's. Nazareth, as we would suspect, but in Jerusalem. Mary and Joseph, who are so ubiquitous in our nativity sets, except in ours, are noticeably absent. Present is an old priest who is never featured in our creches, but who is vitally important. As it is Zechariah who will launch the journey to the manger by providing the necessary ingredient for all of our journeys. Hope. Who was Zechariah? Look with me at verse number 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and his, her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Zachariah is a priest. His wife's name is Elizabeth, as the text just said it. He is part of... One of the 24 divisions of priests that David had created to serve in the temple. And most importantly for the purposes of this journey, he and his wife are old and childless. I have to think that given this situation and the fact that Luke tells us this from the start, that this childlessness is a major part of who Zechariah has become. And I have to think somehow that because of that, Zechariah enters our text this morning hopeless. After all, here he is, a servant of God making intercession for the people of God in the house of God, and yet God is silent. God has been silent 
not just for Zechariah and Elizabeth, but for all of Israel. He has not spoken through a prophet in over 400 years. The children of Israel have gone through a variety of foreign rulers. And about 160 years before our text, they have overthrown these foreigners. And through the Maccabeans, established their own kingdom, which lasted for about 100 years. And then the Romans arrived. And so here they are now, the people of God being ruled by godless Gentiles. And yes, Zechariah had prayed and prayed and prayed, and he still didn't have a child. And God had been silent to all of his prayers. How often, beloved, are you and I in the same spot in life? We fear that God has forgotten us. We think that he has gone silent and we cannot sense him at work any way, anywhere around us. It's almost like God has suddenly vanished and we are wandering around in the darkness, hopeless, directionless, alone. Beloved, take heart this morning. God never forgets us. Notice with me verses 8 through 13. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Did you catch that? Did you catch that there at the end? For your prayer has been heard. God has not forgotten you, Zechariah. He's not forgotten you at all. And I, I think that Zechariah's prayers are more than just about a child here. I really believe that Zechariah's prayers, because of how John is the one that's going to be coming to usher in the arrival of the Messiah, is also part of Zechariah's prayer too. That God is not only hurting for a child, but he is hurting for a Messiah. He is hurting for a Savior. He has answered his prayer. I find it interesting that Zechariah did not do what you and I do way too often when we grow hopeless and think that God has kept, has forgotten us. You see, Zechariah was worshiping and serving God when all this happened. We don't like to say this, but you and I often when we think that God has forgotten us, we go pout. We go off on our own and we throw our hands, you know, and we go. 
Well, God didn't hear me, so I'm not going to do this. God didn't hear me, so I'm not going to do that. Why do I bother to pray? God never answers my prayers. I'm just going to sit over here and have my own pity party. No, Zechariah didn't do that. He kept worshiping. Indeed, the text finds Zechariah at the altar of incense. He is at the physical manifestation of the prayers of the people. And God appears. Beloved, maybe the reason why you haven't found God lately is that you set him off on the side when you quit worshiping, when you quit serving, when you quit praying, and you need to go back to where you left him and enjoy that fellowship with him again. Or maybe it's something else. I think it's interesting that, that in the dry times of hopelessness, you and I can't be quiet. Notice with me verses 19 and 20. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Beloved, sometimes you and I just need to shut our mouths. In the midst of our hopelessness, sometimes we just need to be quiet. Why? Because the more we chatter, the more we think that our opinion is suddenly the answer to all of the problems of life and we forget who God is, that He is the answer to all of our problems in life, not us. And the more we chatter, the more we take our minds off of God. And the more, inevitably, the more we talk, the more we become focused on ourselves. And when they become focused on ourselves, we get into this senseless loop in which we are focused on what we don't have and our hopelessness grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. When maybe, if we were just silent, we could find God. You know, I can't help but wonder that in the ensuing nine months or so of Zachariah's silence, if he figured it all out. If he figured out the fact that God had really not been silent at all. Maybe he figured it out when he reflected upon the miracle of the Maccabees. When the festival of lights, which we now call Hanukkah, occurred. And the light was in the temple for eight days. Miraculously. I wondered if he felt that God was there then. Or or maybe he thought about the fact that there were so many priests that could have been in the temple that day but it was his division and not only was it his division that he had somehow or another won the lot to be there at the table of incense when Gabriel showed up to find out that God had answered his prayer maybe he found out that God really was present in all things working all things out maybe he figured that out Because he had time to be quiet and think about it. 
Beloved, there's a lot of us today who are swimming in seas of hopelessness when we can be inundated by seas of hope. Hope is everywhere around us. Abounding around us. We simply cannot be quiet long enough to hear it speak to us and embrace it. The fact that God has not forgotten us is reason enough to have hope. But Gabriel's message also contains two other points we would do well to hear that should energize our sense of hopefulness. Notice for me verses 14 through 17. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn their hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. God is going to use Zechariah's son, John, to usher in the Messiah. In other words, God is going to use John to ensure the security of the future through God's redemption. Beloved, how often is it that you are hopeless because you are worried about the future? How is it that you are hopeless because when you look toward the future, all you see is gloom and doom? Guess what? God has already worked in the future. He is already working in the future. And He is in control. Things may seem bleak, but with God in control, we can abound in hope. Advent is a time of preparation. Similar to John's ministry. It is to turn people toward God in anticipation of the second coming of the Messiah. And to do that, hope and the promise of hope and the message of hope must be loudly proclaimed. We can't spend all of our time talking about how bad things are. You know, when I think of the modern church in America, that's what we do. That's what we do. We spend a tremendous amount of time talking about how everything is going to hell in a handbasket. And we say, come to Jesus. Who would want to listen to that? Do you want to hang around people all the time who are doom and gloom? Do you want to f- hang around a bunch of Eeyores? You know Eeyore, right? Woe is me. They'll depress you. They'll make you see that, 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 that God is not in control. They'll make you see things not as they really are. They will eclipse God by the bleakness of their life. You know, 
If I listened to what everyone said about Carolina basketball on Wednesday, I think it was Wednesday. No, it was Thursday. If I listened to what everyone said about Carolina basketball on Thursday, I would think that we wouldn't even win three games in the ACC this year. Because that's where everyone I read said, we can't shoot the ball, we can't play defense, we can't do anything. And then what happens? Well, Friday we come out and we look pretty good. We shot the ball, we played defense. And you say, Pastor Mark, why are you making a sports analogy? Easy. Because when everyone in God's kingdom talks about all the things that are going wrong in the world, guess what? Nobody's wanting to go and jump on our bandwagon. Because we are supposed to be purveyors of hope. We are supposed to be purveyors of peace. We are supposed to be purveyors of love. We are supposed to be purveyors of joy. We are supposed to be purveyors of grace. And when we say, all the time, I'm not even sure I want to be a Christian after hanging around some Christians sometimes. But clearly, in John, Zachariah is told that the future is secure. And I don't have to be gloom and doom. I don't have to. I catch myself like that sometimes. I, I can get real bad in a dark spot real fast. And I have to surround myself with people who are positive because of that. And maybe it is the fact that the world needs a bunch more positive Christians. Maybe that's it. And maybe our purpose in preparing for Advent is to remind ourselves that God has the future taken care of. And you say, well, Pastor Mark, that's great. Because you've already told me about he's not forgotten me, so therefore he's present with me now and you say he's got the the future and and that's all well and good but what about what's past because let's face it some of us today are hopeless because of what's behind us some of us are hopeless because we are bound in the chains of the past There's a second player in this story today. Her name is Elizabeth. Zechariah references her in verse 18 when he says to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And then if you were to go on down to verse 23... And when his time of service is ended, he went to his home. And verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Elizabeth, we see here, joined Zechariah in hopelessness. She can't go boldly and proclaim that she's pregnant. She waits five months, the scripture says. Why? Because people have taunted her. She's been shamed by her neighbors. Maybe they said something like, well, you know, Zachariah is a good priest. 
And Elizabeth looks good. I mean, she, she acts all right. She seems to be righteous. She seems to be blamed, but it's got to be her. I mean, Zachariah is a good priest. If it weren't for Elizabeth, well, then she may have conceived. She probably would have. She must have done something to anger God. And now God says to her, I'm going to redeem your past as well. I'm going to give you a child. And I'm going to do it in such a remarkable way that I'm going to make you give birth as an old woman. There are no medical advances here, beloved. There's nothing special that can occur here. There are no treatments. There are no pills for Zachariah and Elizabeth. God does it. God redeems her past. And God is willing to redeem ours. Are we willing to let him? God wants to take the deepest pain, the most broken parts of our lives. He wants to take the sins that we think can't be forgiven. And he wants to not only heal, restore, and forgive those places. He wants to make it like it never happened. Do you think that as Elizabeth and Zachariah are teaching young John how to walk, they remember the taunts of those other people? Do you think they remember their hopelessness? Or are they filled with great hope every time old bouncing John comes along? Beloved, we can have hope today. We can put our lives in hope and drive into a sure and certain future knowing that God is in control and He desires to use us and dwell with us. It's simply those starts with us allowing Him to fill us with hope and begin the journey. You may be like me sometimes. Sometimes I'll get in the car and I'll go through all the different paces I have to. I buckle my seatbelt. I put my sunglasses on. I get the radio station where I want it to be. I do all of these things. And then suddenly it dawns on me. I need to put the car in drive. This morning you're sitting here. And you may have done all those things, but you lack hope to put the car in drive. There is hope today. There is hope. You just simply must leave the dark recesses of where you are and come into the full light of God that through some divine spiritual photosynthesis you may be illuminated and filled with hope. 
Will you let him shine on you today? Hope. Hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for hope. Hope which shines in the darkest places of our life and says, you can do it. Hope that restores, hope that refreshes, hope that secures. And Lord, wherever it is today that we lack hope, I pray that you would speak to us and you would shine bright your hope into our lives. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Where do you need the light of God's hope to shine today? It is absolutely going to be a miserable Christmas if you are surrounded by all these lights and you have no hope. And you just dwell in darkness. Maybe you need the light of his love through a relationship with him. Maybe you need that relationship restored. Maybe there's some broken part of your life that today you say, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of being chained by this. I'm giving it to God and I'm done. Because I want to feel hope. Or maybe today you just say, I need to go be hopeful. Whatever it is, he will answer Whatever he has laid on your heart today, if you'll just receive it and respond. As we stand to sing, would you come?